Hi, this is James Rorys, founder of the Growth Multiplier Movement, and this is Slapcast. Hello, welcome to the Slapcast. This is Shannon Lee, your host and executive director of Relay. We have reached lucky number seven. Yes, episode seven. Let's get some business out of the way, shall we? If you want to connect with us in between these podcasts, you can do so on all of the socials. We're founded at Relay Leadership. Please subscribe, share this podcast, do it, do it now. Uh, you can find us anywhere podcasts are found. And if you want to reach out to me directly, you can do so at slapcast at relayleadership.org. Now, I'm actually currently relaxing on a beach after having just put on our second largest event of the year called Leadership Forum. I cannot express how thankful I am to the volunteers, board members, community members, and all of you who attended. It was a huge success. Now, let me explain what I mean by success. Some people track success solely by ascension, meaning more people than last year, more revenue from last year. And those are things that we track too, but we track them for information and learning purposes, not as a measurement of success. Here's why I say the event was success. People showed up and they were impacted, period. Having an event is sort of like throwing a party and wondering if anyone's going to show up. And when you guys were kids, did you ever like have Jonathan's here with me? Did you ever throw a birthday party when you were a kid and get worried that no one was going to show up? All the time, yeah. Yeah. And so that's what it's kind of like having an event. Even when people register and you sell all your tickets, you still wonder, are people actually going to show up? And then when they do and they tell you how impactful the event was, then you're like, wow, that was worth it. It was such a win-win. So moving forward... I'm really, really excited to introduce the audience to an organization called Flores and their founder, James Rores. And his work, he is creating what he calls a growth multiplier movement. Now, what is that? Well, I'm going to let him break that down for you, but here's the summary. It's a transformational training program for sales and customer facing teams rooted in servant leadership. It's a program really built from the ground up on servant leadership, specifically for sales teams and customer facing teams. And it is so awesome. Now that's all I'm going to say. So cue the music. Welcome, everyone, and hello, James. I'm so excited to have you on the Slabcast today. I'm excited to be here. Awesome, awesome. Well, I want to give the audience a little bit of a background. Um, last year, August, September, I was in an all-day board meeting. We have an annual board retreat every year. One of our board me board members, excuse me, kind of offhand said, you know what, we should really create a sales training program that has servant leadership as its basis. And we all thought that was a really great idea. And he said, we should call it care to sell. Now, the reason why he said care to sell was because we have this other we have two other programs. We call them the care to line <laughs> and we have care to lead and care to influence. And it's our model for servant leadership once for leaders and once for individual contributors. And, um, it's our most popular program. And he was like, wouldn't it be cool if we had care to sell? And we all just really kind of gravitated towards that and said, Oh, that's a really, really great idea. And so my comment back to the board was, well, I'll just start building that. And my hope was, that we would have something to deploy either late this year or in 2020, right? Because we didn't have this program. Right. And I've had some sales training. I've had some sales experience. And I thought I could do some research, work with some experts and figure out a training program for this. I, I'm pretty good at writing curriculum. But fast forward to later in 2018, early 2019, I can't remember exactly. I ran into a friend of mine at a, this was an unrelated workshop. His name is John Rue. And in passing, he said, hey, I want you to meet a friend of mine. He's involved with like this servant leadership sales training thing. I think that's almost exactly how he said it. And I told him he had no idea how timely that was because of something that I was working on, but I didn't go into any detail. Literally, this was in passing. And that's how I met one of your uh, associates, Paul Fuller. That's and right. um, Paul couldn't be with us today, uh, but Paul and I met 
And we had this great conversation and found all these connection points. And then Paul then introduced me to you. We all had lunch and kind of the rest is history. Um, We realized that um, this was something that we ought to talk more at length as far as bringing Relay together and your organization, Flores, together. And so before we get into that, um, I would love it, James, if you first shared with us a little bit about your story. When we met for the first time at lunch, if you remember, we were at Mar- is it Marcella's or Marcella's? Marcella's, yeah. Okay. I'm Italian. Yeah. I need to know these things. <laughs> uh, so we're over at Marcella's and you opened up a lot about your professional experience and kind of like, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth or, or let the cat out of the bag, but sort of like a, a professional crisis, if you will. Can you take the list? Listeners back a little bit, give us a little bit of your story and then kind of bring us forward to this growth multiplier movement. What brought you to this place? Yeah. Well, thank you. And it's great to be here. And uh, I'm really glad we found each other. Um, you know, the, the, uh, first half of my career, um, I was, uh, I was raised well, the first half of my career I dedicated to making money. And, uh, any way that I, that I could, and the best way that I could, uh, was through sales and doing the hardest sales at the time, which was in the nineties and early two thousands was, uh, selling for venture backed startups. And, uh, why that was so difficult is that I had to learn or actually teach myself how to sell things that people didn't know existed to solve problems they didn't know they had. Um, so I certainly was a student of traditional sales methodologies, um, strategic selling and so forth and others like that. But, um, uh, this was really tough stuff. And I also had the insecurity of needing to be, um, great at what I did. And in fact, uh, you know, what, what I later discovered was I was, uh, uh, practicing power leadership, right? So, Uh, This was, I viewed sales as a zero sum game of winners and losers, and there's no way um, I was going to be a loser. So uh, for those 15 years, I really practiced, uh, I was very good at sales, won lots of awards, did very well, but I was actually practicing in a way that was contrary to my core values. And I thought that I could just survive it by suppressing that and just enjoying the ride and the reward. And then, uh, late, uh, uh, I tell the story late in 2004, I was reclosing a client and, um, burping up stomach acid while I was performing for my boss and my global VP, uh, showing them how I did it. At that time I was the uh, top rep worldwide for the company I was working with. And, um, that was the beginning of the uh, recognition or the, uh, the fact the, the recognition of the crisis and, the, uh, that was the moment of no return. Uh, so I, uh, after that call, uh, com- was compelled to jump on the internet, identify a life coach. And within six months I was functional and I had been introduced to uh, servant leadership and decided that every CEO and sales leader i had ever met needed, um, this level of functionality. And then I dedicated myself six months later to starting my company and, um, promoting this idea, uh, which I later authored, um, in 2012 after demonstrating that it can work and drive significant growth, but from a functional perspective, which was just, uh, very rewarding. So were you introduced to servant leadership through that coach or was servant leadership something you, you stumbled upon as a result of your work with that coach? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, was it directly related to the coach or no? That, you know, it's a great it's a great question because I knew about servant leadership and I thought it was a quaint idea when I was uh, yeah. when I was in the venture world, right? Because when you're in a venture back business, the promise, you know, the the um, the attraction is the promise of life changing wealth. And uh, I had been I had co-founded a couple startup technology startups early in my career. Uh, one was sold in 98, one went public in 97. Uh, my first company, when I moved to Boston, went public and then was sold. Uh, so a lot of early success, and I was part of three uh, public events altogether. So a lot of early success, and everybody there wants that life-changing wealth. And in those environments, human beings become stepping stones 
And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we, I used to refer to that as kind of losing my humanity, um, for the sake of, you know, being that, uh, that alpha producer. So I knew about servant leadership, but I thought it was a soft, uh, way of looking at the world, quaint, but not really effective. And so I pursued that power leader, uh, mentality with my coach. I was able to, you know, recognize one, uh, the, uh, the long-term impact of living that way in a way that wasn't consistent with my core beliefs. But then I also recognized that, you know, the, the way that I was learning servant leadership at that time would really be highly effective in a sales environment because I was able to understand leadership really as a, uh, as a form of, um, simply creating connections. And so what I did was turn it around and I built a sales methodology that recognizes sales as a leadership competency. And so I had heard about it, wasn't really convinced it was for me, later discovered that, yes, it was. And in fact, you know, I, I refer to servant leadership now and those principles as, you know, timeless growth principles. We adapt and adopt those timeless growth principles to help people recognize sales as a leadership competency. Thank you for that. That's so helpful. And I think you've actually been shared a little bit more than, than um, I've heard you share in the past. One of the things I want to kind of ping on here is, um, and, and we won't, I won't mention other programs, although you and I've talked about other programs that we're both <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's crap. But, um, <laughs> well, I don't know that we ever said crap, but we said, you know, that's not servant leadership. Let's put it that way. Um, okay. without, without naming them, um, what are some of the behaviors, like if someone's listening to this thinking um, what you were thinking, which is the word I will use is Pollyanna. So when we go out and talk about servant leadership, some pushback that we get is like, yeah, that's nice. That's, that's something nice to attain to, but that doesn't work in the real world. That doesn't work in venture capitalism. That doesn't work in sales. And, you know, I love the way you describe sales as a leadership competency, because that really adds some oomph to it that goes beyond just this somewhat esoteric or soft idea of servant leadership. And I don't think servant leadership is soft. In fact, you and I, I think discussed early on that servant leadership is actually pretty tough to live out. Um, And so what would you say to someone who's wondering about this? What are some behaviors or attitudes that you could talk about specifically that someone listening might be able to look at themselves and go, oh yeah, that's me. I might be living that way. Um, That might make them reconsider servant leadership as a leadership competency and maybe not so soft as they thought it was. Right. Well, the, the, the challenge for someone like me, and, and so I really am an, I, I really have the, an ideal mentality for sales in that I am very competitive. I enjoy the idea of being uh, rewarded for performance. Um, and I don't mind being given a tough goal, a goal that most people wouldn't say yes to or sign up to. Uh, or sign up for. Um, and I, and I, I, I enjoy the com- competitive nature of the job. Um, so for anyone out there who is, is voluntarily, um, uh, waking up every morning, uh, with a, with a tough goal to hit and, uh, with, uh, daily or hourly accountability toward reaching that goal, you know, you're, you're living under a spotlight, you know, much like, an athlete perform when an athlete performs on TV under the bright lights, nothing is hidden. All of your preparation, all of your skills, all of your talents are now exposed for everyone to see and judge. And if you can live and perform in that kind of environment, um, then you can, you can be, uh, you can, you can be a great salesperson. The issue with the issue with salespeople is that we can become so, um, so uh, enamored with our solution, so focused on helping people that even good people, quote unquote, good people will manipulate or exaggerate to get their point across, to create a convert, to, uh, to win someone's heart and mind. And it is, it's really interesting. And I, and I wonder why now I'm not a psychologist and I haven't studied this, but my, my own belief system is that 
you know, when we were kids and we discovered that uh, we could manipulate our parents into getting giving us a cookie or whatever we wanted and it worked. <laughs> We went and did it. We did it again and again and again. And hey, it worked. Let's keep doing it. And I think short of having skills that you're taught to say, look, you can get what you want without being manipulative. We will, as human beings, resort to what we learned when we were young. And so I think most people believe that it's okay. The ends justify the means um, or um, they have no other way, other idea of how to explain or convince somebody what, what they're selling is good for them. They, they believe that because it's good for them, uh, anything goes. Um, what I what I recognize is that um, a lot of sales methodologies that um, leverage that belief system um, really attract a lot of believers. A lot of uh, business owners, CEOs, executives, and salespeople who think, yeah, it makes sense. It worked when I was a kid. It'll work now. And so instead of pouting, what they're taught are psychological tricks and tips. Um, I love the fact that uh, neuroscience now is being explored and uh, people are talking about the buyer, the buy button that exists inside the brain. And and uh, understanding science and using science isn't a bad thing. Um, but when we're doing that to manipulate and we're doing that to acquire and accumulate power and authority and drive our own personal wealth at the expense of others, that is power leadership. That is not servant leadership. Uh, and so what we recognize is that for people who have core values that don't allow them. I actually worked with people, Shannon, in sales who never told their family what they did for a living. Oh my word. Right. And I've worked <laughs> with people who are, who are, I have clients who ask me, Hey James, can we come up with another name for this sales position that doesn't have the word sales in it? And so we have all these euphemisms, business development, et cetera, because we recognize that leaders recognize that they're uncomfortable with the word sales. They don't want to hire people who have to have this have sales on their business card. And it's really a big mess. Um, so anybody who has a who has core values that say, I don't want to be recognized as a salesperson. It's not the name. It's how you it's what you believe sales is and how you practice it that you're having a hard time with. And you may want to consider the fact that it's your core values that should be guiding you. Go find a system that's aligned with the way the way you believe you should be walking the earth and treating people. And that's what we did. So, you know, so it's a for a lot of folks, I'm going to I'm going to say to you that I believe whatever works for you, keep doing it. I thought what I was doing was working for me and I kept doing it until I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Until it uh, didn't work <laughs> on one level or another. <laughs> and, and you said something early on, um, one word that really stuck out to me and that word was insecurity. Mm -hmm. You said you related that to your need to be great at what you did, that you had an insecurity and you related that to needing to be great at what you did. And the reason why I'm kind of pausing there is because I've been recently going through a, a coaching program. And one of the things we talk about in that program is that what I thought was competitive in me, me proving that I can do something, do a good job, sell a thing, make something successful, that once I got down to my motivation, the really the deep seated motivation of proving myself, that that motivation in and of itself was an insecure motivation versus where's my secure motivation? And I think therein lies the answer, like there's nothing inherently wrong with being competitive. And as you said, being rewarded for performance and being attracted to a tough goal, I can identify with all three of those things. That's what you sign up for when you are going to sell stuff, you know, when you're going to be, as you say, a business development person, you know, um, I think those are inherently great qualities. And depending on like, if you're hiring for something, you would be looking for those kinds of qualities, right? Someone who is low in competitive nature probably would make a terrible salesperson. You know, you want them to feel energized by a goal. Um, 
But I think the dividing line is, am I motivated out of a secure place or an insecure place? And when it's insecure, basically what's driving you is a fear. And the fear is I'm not going to make the goal. So or I'm not going to make the money if I don't make the goal. And if I don't make the money, then I can't, you know, pay my mortgage or whatever. Whenever or that, job. yeah, or lose my job. Yeah. And so we talked at one point, I can't remember which conversation at this point about the difference between like how salespeople are measured and how that fear is created, um, both in someone and outside of them by maybe their sales leader. Um, and I can't remember exactly what you said, but this way of looking at sales leadership or uh, sales as a leadership competency isn't just about how I show up as a salesperson or a customer facing um, person, but it's also how, if I'm a leader, how I drive performance. Can you comment on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so you, you, there was a lot to unpack there. Um, certainly, certainly um, these ideas of insecurities, I think are, really interesting. And I, I actually had my coach for 10 years, um, not because I was, I was working on myself for sure, but I was also learning how to be a coach. And so now I, I, uh, do practice, um, executive coaching and I call it growth coaching to help people identify the changes they want to achieve and, and achieve those and make them happen. Um, so, but what I learned about my own insecurities, right? So this one, one that I have is I, is I have a need to be liked. So recognition was really important to me. And so that was driving me, right? Recognition. Um, in the context of the way, now in the context of my insecurity, I can tell you right now that that is hard coded to me. Um, I'm never going to get rid of that. And so one of the things that's helpful is having gone through the challenge and I helping people go through the challenge now in my current role, I'm able to look at them and say, look under, and this is based on my own experience. It may be different for you, but what I want you to understand is that you don't have to feel bad about having this insecurity or whatever is driving you. These are things that you carry with you because of the way you were raised early experiences. But what you can change is that you don't have to, you don't have to, um, have those insecurities met on the job. In other words, if I have a, if I have a desire to be liked, that's going to stay with me, but I can build, uh, strategies that allow me to not seek that while I'm at work. So what I can do is recognize, you know, great coaching creates awareness, self-awareness, and then we can take that self-awareness and say, okay, great. Now, how do I achieve the goals that I have for myself? We can build those strategies that allow us to function the way that we want to function. So we don't have to wait for us to change or those insecurities to go away, which I, cause I, I just haven't been able to work on it. And I, and I spent a lot of time on myself. Um, so that's the first thing is recognizing that because you have an insecurity, which we all human beings do, I mean, to be insecure is to be human. I mean, at the end of the day, um, don't let that stop you identify those strategies that, that allow you to not allow those insecurities to impact the things that are most important to you. That's a, like, great, that's a great point. Right. How you go to work, how you treat your family, et cetera. That's the benefit of going through the work and finding that self, that, that awareness. Now, as a manager, or as a leader, you have a choice. You can, you can, you know, and this goes back to Daniel Pink's book, right? This idea of you can, use the carrot and the stick. You can be passive aggressive. You can identify someone's insecurity and use that to your advantage, right? To, to, to motivate them to do the things you want to do. I tell the story about when my father, uh, was sold insurance back in the sixties and seventies and eighties. When they hired a new insurance agent, the first thing they asked them to do was go buy uh, an expensive car that they couldn't afford. Then they wanted to go buy a house they couldn't afford. And they wanted to have kids as soon as possible. Why? So they were in debt and they needed to go to work and make money to pay off that debt. That was a classic institutionalized way of onboarding salespeople. Um, so we don't want to take advantage of that. What we want to do as a leader is we want to understand um, not, not just the insecurities that motivate our people, 
but we want to understand the goals and the things that they aspire to and leverage those uh, and then co-create a plan. So for us, servant leadership in, in sales or as a sales paradigm or growth paradigm simply means shared goals. We, so we identify and seek and work towards shared goals. And then we walk a shared path to those goals. So as a leader, I want to only hire people who have goals who are synchronous with my goals as a leader and the organization's larger goals. They don't have to be exactly the same, but we, we all want to be on purpose together. Then what I want to do is as a leader, I want to walk them down or lead them down a path to change, a path toward those goals. Um, so somebody comes to me and says, hey, boss, this is what I want to do. The boss's objective now is to say, great, we're in alignment. I'm going to I'm going to show you the way I'm going to walk you down the path to achieving all the things that you want to achieve. And so now the 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 motivator isn't something that's like a carrot or a stick. The motor the motivator is this shared now commitment to mutual success. The the leader is serving the shared goals and leading their employees down a shared path to change. That paradigm of servant leadership, that's actually, that's my interpretation of what I learned. That is what do I apply to sales and selling. As the salesperson, I am the leader. I'm identifying prospects or buyers who have goals that I can deliver, shared goals. And then I establish or earn the mantle of leadership by walking that buyer down the path to change because we believe that people buy or buy into ideas when they're ready, willing, and able to change. And that's the salesperson's objective. Identify those shared goals, serve those shared goals, and then lead the buyer down that shared path to change. And, and, and what comes out of that is what every company wants, a wonderful relationship with a customer, a profitable relationship with a customer, and a long-term relationship with a customer that can be leveraged over and over again uh, through referrals, testimonials, and, and the continuing rela uh, buying relationship that you can establish with that customer. Do you think this isn't happening more often because there's a lack of knowledge or a lack of willingness or a little bit of both? Because hmm. I well, feel I'll like we have lots of information <laughs> available to us today, right? I mean, there's not a lack of information. Right. Um, right. you can almost not any, not completely, but it's almost impossible to feign ignorance nowadays. I mean, there's just so much out there. So why right. aren't more, why do you think, what's your opinion? You know, why aren't more sales teams, sales leaders embracing this way of doing things? If it really does create this, this growth. Well, I'm going to be very, uh, vulnerable in this moment. I'll, I'll share with you even more and transparent, share with you even more about <laughs> My experience, because really, Shannon, I can't speak for everybody. I can speak for myself, but yeah. I can, but you can tell me if you think that my experience is common or not. You know, what helps me as a coach, you know, as a coach, you have to walk through life without judgment, right? Your, your goal, your objective is not to judge the people that you work with. It's to guide them right. down the journey that they're walking to the goals they seek. And so what that taught me is that every one of us, to your point, every one of us is, is on our own path. And we meet people at different points in their journey, in their path. If you knew me 10 years ago, if you knew me 15 years ago, you wouldn't like, you wouldn't have liked me. <laughs> <laughs> I was that, that professional jerk. Uh, great at home, but there are two versions of me that I was cultivating that really caused my downfall. Um, so I was on my path and all I can do is hope that the folks that knew me then give me a pass and get to know me now. And I think the same thing happens with people when we're walking a certain journey, we're not open to new ideas. We don't recognize all the, the knowledge that's out there. We don't see it. We don't experience it. We don't think we need it. Uh, most of the folks I work with, uh, most of my clients, you know, they've heard what I have to tell them. They've heard that before, but they weren't open to it because maybe they weren't in crisis or what they were doing seemed to work until it didn't. And then they become they became curious, not complacent, but curious. 
and that opened them up to being able to make decisions with clarity. So I think we are all going through a cycle of complacency versus curiosity, you know, where we make decisions in crisis versus make decisions in, in with clarity. And I think every one of us just has to recognize that each of us, we're all going through it ourselves and we have to recognize that every other, everybody we meet is going through it and just kind of give folks a pass and, and allow them to, you know, come back to you when they have that awareness and make it safe for them to ask you, Hey, what's that stuff about sales and leadership competency? I, I think I'd like to learn that, you know, don't make that a hard question or a hard thing for them to realize. And so that's what I try to do. I, I you know, I, I don't, I'm not preaching. I'm sharing a story, sharing what I've learned. And when folks are ready for it, I'm happy to, uh, to share it with them. I, I love that position because I, you know, as I think back on my life, every major transformation in my life, which when I characterize a major transformation, you know, I'm not counting dozens of them. You know, I'm counting, I'm thinking of, you know, four or five specific growth experiences that are ongoing, but that I can point back to, okay, here's where kind of like what you said, what was working, wasn't working anymore, you know? And so therefore, like I say, pain has been so far in my life, my greatest teacher and the greatest catalyst for growth in my life. But no one could have come to me before that time and said, you need to go do this, Shannon, because what you're doing over here isn't, isn't going to work for you much longer. Or it's, you know, in fact, I can think of conversations early on in my professional career where certain things were said to me and I totally blew it off because I thought that they were wrong. And now if I could sit in front of that person today, I go, oh, I get it now, <laughs> you know, and, but I, to your point, I just wasn't ready. So I think that's a great point not to judge where people are. Um, and then also kind of be ready to share when, you know, when the, the learner or the listener presents himself on your path and, you know, to have that willingness in your role, um, as a coach through your business to provide this information that you've learned and maybe it'll help people avoid some pain. Maybe some people are in the pain right now. Um, and maybe even in crisis and, and that could help them, but regardless kind of being available, kind of being that sage, if you will, you know, to, um, to sit in that space and be available to people, um, when the time comes for them. Um, when you think about, um, let's just go out a little bit broader to servant leadership in general, um, not necessarily as it pertains to sales, but just mm -hmm. thinking about servant leadership itself. I, I've maintained, and I said earlier in our recording here, um, that servant leadership is actually in many ways very, very challenging to live out. Can you think of a time since you've started on this journey of, of sales as a leadership competency, um, this program rooted in servant leadership, how has your commitment to servant leadership been challenged? Because I know for me, it's challenged all the time. Um, I'm thankful for my newfound servant leadership values because they do give me something to lean back on, right? When it's challenged, I go, wait a second, that's not who I am, you know, and I'm going to make this decision based on these values, not based on, you know, a, a whim or how I'm feeling at this moment. Can you think of an example or a time when something specific has really challenged those values that you're living out through your work and in your life. And, and how did you address that? Mm. You know, I love the question, um, because it, you know, it's, it, it would force me, um, to be, to, 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 uh, admit right when I struggled and, <laughs> and, uh, how I got through that struggle. <laughs> um, and I, and I can tell you that, Based on my definition of servant leadership, it has never been a challenge for me. And I and I'm what's really interesting is I is I I've been asking myself why because I'm the more folks that I meet who are really who really do want to make servant leadership work for them, every one of them has a different definition than I do about about how servant leadership can manifest itself in their lives. And one of the, one of the common, um, I think, and I, I, I'm going to call it a misconception, but it's really a misconception in my experience. So I'm not you know, speaking as an authority. It's, it's me and my experience of working with people, my clients and others who are not my clients 
is that they put too much emphasis on service. You know, um, and I really believe that human beings in general live uh, in a balance, whether they know it or not, they balance their lives between service and leadership. And there are very many people, because they don't understand their own skills and power as leaders, they live too much on the service side. And when you live too much on the service side and you give up too much of yourself, now I'm talking about people who have chosen to live in the world that you and I live in, this world of commerce and consumption and earning. I'm not talking about holy people who have taken a vow of chastity and done different things. You know, those are <laughs> folks who are, have chosen to live outside of the world that we're operating in, right? So let's talk about the practical, real world where most of us live, is that they live too much in service. And so when, you, when you're too uh, caught up in service, you give up too much of yourself. You're not honoring who you are. You're not honoring your goals, your desires. And so I meet a lot of people who are, they're at the point in their journey where they think, ah, the answer to happiness is to give, give, give. And then all of a sudden they find out that all their money's gone, all their time is gone, and all of the things that they thought they would be rewarded with um, didn't show up. And what they realize, oh, it's not about being unbalanced, it's about being balanced. It's about, it's not just about service, it's about leadership. It's not just about giving, it's about giving from the saucer. I have to fill my cup first. I have, it, I, like the classic example, when the oxygen mask falls down on the plane, you put it on yourself first. It's the same example that you were talking about, Shannon, with regard to uh, judgment. How can I, if I, I, uh, the only way that I can not judge others is if I stop judging myself. So everything begins mm -hmm. with us and that balance. So I find that most folks that are that are practicing or discovering what it means to them is that they're out of balance. They're either too much on the service side or too much on the leadership side. We want to help them strike a balance. And what helps me and a lot of the folks that I work with is this idea of, ah, a shared goal and a shared path. It's not about you or me. It's about us. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I'm so glad you brought that up because we actually really came up with our own definition of servant leadership because we felt that there was the same problem. There was this misconception about servant leadership, that it's all about serving others, almost, almost like this martyrdom mentality. And we define servant leadership as a style in which the leader, listen to this word, balances the interests of others and self while relentlessly pursuing a win for all stakeholders. These leaders seek to enrich lives, build better organizations and care for one another. And so what I love about this balancing act, um, and where I find the most challenge with servant leadership is not in my desire to balance or my desire to find the win-win, but the challenge for me comes in is when there's conflict, staying super committed to, okay, now wait a second, there is a win here for everybody. That doesn't mean everyone gets you know a trophy and everyone gets what they want all the time, but it does mean I'm committed to looking at wants, looking at needs. Um, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag here. I want to look at who those things impact, right? And develop solutions that come out of that thought process. But what I realize as a leader is my commitment to that. That is hard for some people because they're not used to thinking through things. Their default is the path of least resistance. And typically the path of least resistance is what's going to elevate me and solve my problem the quickest and the easiest, you know, before everyone else's. And the servant leader is willing to take the time to not just consider their own needs, as you say, and the needs of others, but think about who it impacts. And once we know the impact, sometimes when we realize an impact, we, we thought something was a great idea until we realize it negatively impacted, you know, 80% of the people, right? But until we take the time to evaluate that, we're just kind of going off, you know, without all the information, without considering everything. And so for me, the challenge I find 
And it's getting so much easier now because I've just practiced it. But early on, I realized how quickly I jumped to solutions without thinking about other people's wants and needs that my default was actually not service. My default was highly selfish. And then the pendulum swung the other direction where I was so focused on service that I felt depleted and that my needs weren't being met. And now I'm happy to say that it's kind of reached that balance level or what I actually, it's technically in my experience, more of an ebb and flow. I don't know that anything is actually perfectly balanced ever, but that ebb and flow of, well, what do you need? What do I need? Where do those things overlap and how many of those needs can we meet? you know, together. And, um, and the willingness to have that discussion goes 10 times further, even if I don't get everything that I want. The fact that someone's willing to engage in that conversation with me shows me that they're wanting to serve both themselves and, and others. And to me, that's just the challenge is being radically committed to that win-win and really believing that it can be found. Um, and that's, to me, that's the key difference is that mindset that, you know, some people don't believe the win-win can be found, right? They, they're operating from a worldview of like scarcity, that it's not just the obvious, like I've got to get mine so that I can make a bunch of money. It's, it's deeper than that. It's, it's more, it's, it's subtler than that. Um, it's almost like this knee-jerk reaction. And I think early on in, in our session, you, you said it best when you said a lot of these things are influenced by our childhood. These are things that, not that we're getting into psychology or anything here, but we form habits as children to unconsciously meet our needs. And then as we get into adulthood, we continue acting that way, but they, they stop working for us. And that's what creates those, those need, those new needs and those new crises that give birth to kind of a new way of looking at things. And so I am right with you there. I, I think that it's a huge misconception that servant leadership is all about service, 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 because you're right. The oxygen mass, that's the exact example I give in our training programs is like, you can't give what you don't possess. And so, um, you know, if I ask Jonathan here for a thousand bucks and he only has $2, you know, um, I bet you have a thousand dollars though, not in your wallet. Shoot. No. Um, but you know, you can't give to people something you don't possess. And that's why it's so important to balance that taking care of self and, and also considering others. So I'm glad you brought that up because that is a huge misconception in servant leadership. Now I do want to switch gears cause we're kind of running long on time, but I knew this one would run long though, because I'm, I'm super interested in all of this. Um, we're joining forces and I, in, in the intro, I already told people about that in general, um, but we want to get a little bit more specific. Can you share with the audience what is Care to Sell, powered by Floris? Just give us an overview of what the program and what people are going to get out of this. Um, just kind of give us an overview of that. Sure. Sure. Well, you know, so far in our conversation, we've been talking about um, concepts. And the idea, the, what we want to do now is we want to, give people tools they can use to actually affect the change that they seek. So the wonderful thing is if anyone out there is now curious about servant leadership in general and, or how to uh, become a more improved or more aligned salesperson specifically, uh, the, the beautiful thing about Care to Sell is that it, it presents now a methodology and a platform that you can easily learn and apply uh, certainly in a professional sales environment, certainly in a uh, professional leadership environment. But this stuff works in any situation where uh, you are trying to um, share your view with someone else. Um, and uh, help them see your perspective and actually help them buy or buy into your perspective. So a lot of the examples that we give are related to simple things like even getting a child to uh, convincing your child to wear their bike helmet when their <laughs> friends are making fun of them for being the only one with one on. So uh, so it's a so the first thing to mention is that this is a methodology for actually making this work in your life. 
Um, and you know, for those folks who recognize that they probably got some things to overcome and securities, et cetera, to overcome, we address all that stuff. And, um, we help you think about, you know, while that stuff exists, you don't have to let that stop you. We have a way to address that. And so we have a very, we have a very simple, um, acronym that aligns with, um, this concept of care to lead. We now extend that to what we call collecting wins. And, uh, the acronym is wants, impacts, needs, and solutions. And so what we'll be doing in this presentation is, is, is demonstrating how the wins methodology aligns with your methodology, your care methodology. And, um, for anyone who's been through your training and understands care to lead, they will immediately recognize the power of collecting wins. And so we'll draw that, that connection and we'll walk through the four steps of moving from curiosity to clarity. How do you uh, engage somebody, even someone who's not thinking servantly, like a servant leader themselves, how do you engage them and how do you, um, how do you, uh, how do you identify that shared goal and earn the mantle of leadership that allows you to walk down that shared path together? Yeah. And we've talked a lot about sales on this podcast, but who else besides sales leaders, um, sales, you know, account reps, et cetera, what are some other folks that should think about this? Because the more I learn about this from you, um, I know you and I are on the same page that again, this is a life thing. This isn't just, well, I'm a salesperson and it's, and it's a way to get sales, right? This is not a, an, a zero sum kind of attitude with this training, but rather, as you say, it's as it's a leadership competency. So what other folks should consider? Like if I'm not in sales, um, mm. I do something else. What are some other folks? And I, I don't know if you want to use titles or describe different job types that you think would benefit from this uh, workshop taking place in June. Sure. Well, so and I appreciate the question. So I want everybody to understand that that um, you know our core business is the transformation of sales organizations, and we we use a broader phrase: sales and customer facing teams. Um, but for a company to justify their investment in a training program, they have to understand what kind of return there, there is. So, you know, we are, we are letting folks know that for sure, I'm going to show you how, um, you can drive anyone that practices this can drive 21 to 46% growth, revenue growth, top line growth by practicing this stuff. And that's been validated over thousands of clients uh, over the 30 years I've been in business, so or that, that I've been practicing this, so that's the first thing that they should hear. So we can validate this with measurable performance uh, improvement from your sales folks. Now, what's great about it is that it applies to any any sales or customer facing team. Um, we know that after a sale is made, it must be delivered. Um, those customers must be serviced. We have this concept of customer success. We have a concept of retaining customers because we know that as soon as we gain a customer, they become a prospect for our competition. So how do we keep that customer happy? How do we solve challenges that come up, come that come about all of these uh, challenges uh, require a methodology so that we can we can optimize the way we communicate, so that we can position ourselves to lead our customers through every challenge they face. Uh, folks want leadership. They want people they that understand them. They want people that they have built mutual trust with, and they want people who they have built this high level of respect with. Servant leadership is about developing that mutual understanding, that mutual trust, and that mutual respect. And so any sales or customer-facing team member should be able to leverage this uh, and effectively use it to impact their organization. Awesome. That's super helpful. I, I wanted you to talk speak to that because we've talked about sales, but it's 
I understand the core business. I want to make sure we talked about those customer facing teams because they're all really involved in the sales process, even if they're not the salespeople, so to speak. And they're all welcome to attend. I mean, yes. there'll be plenty of useful information for them to take with them and, and directly impact their job within an hour of leaving the session. And the nice thing is I'm guaranteeing that anybody who's yep. not happy can raise their hand and, um, and I can do that because I know, you know, this is not theory, right? Um, like you, Shannon, we've implemented this over and over again. Um, and we've never actually had anyone, uh, call us on the guarantee. Um, so, but we're, you know, we're still willing to, to <laughs> offer it. It's awesome. Uh, stand by it because we, we believe so, uh, strongly that, um, that people will identify with it and be able to apply it. Yeah. So we're kicking this off as a one day workshop. Now care to sell will live on beyond that. It's not just a workshop, but this is how we're kicking it off. It's a one day workshop on Friday, June 14th. It's right here in central Ohio in Columbus. It's going to be at Rev One Ventures. We only have space for what, like 50 people and uh, registration is open now. And if you want to learn more about this, all you need to do is go to relayleadership.com slash care to sell, no spaces. That's R-E-L-A leadership.com slash care to sell. All the information is there. A registration uh, link is there as well. Uh, we have some special pricing going on right now. And then after a certain date, you get uh, 20% off if you bring four or more people. And so it's a great opportunity to bring a small team with you and um, just get them exposed to this and really kind of light the fire of this, this different, it's not really that different. It's an old way of thinking that we're really, um, bringing into the, the current age, I guess. Um, that's the way I look at it at least. So, um, James, I just want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Once again, today, it's been really interesting. I've even learned even more and I've talked to you. It seems like, uh, 15 times in the last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good, um, but I learned even more today. I, I've taken copious notes here on my um, on a piece of paper as we've talked. Because I'm like, oh, I want to remember that. Um, so thank you so much for your time, uh, for your thought leadership. I'm so excited about the workshop that we're putting on in June. I hope you uh, have enjoyed your time with us too. Oh, it's been it's been tremendous. And if anybody that you meet has any questions, they can contact me directly. I'm happy to help them think about how this might apply to them. How can people get a hold of you? Well, it's, uh, you can reach me directly at james at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. Uh, that's the easiest way. And, um, I'm, I return my, I read my own emails and return them promptly. So I'm awesome. happy to hear from anyone who wants to reach out. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, James. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. Take good care. You too.